The ALDS and the NLDS are currently set. We have our teams and the Lakers absolutely rolling in this NBA Finals. I welcome you into another edition of the Cooking Up Sports with Gage Bulls podcast show. I have great news. I will probably be bringing this show to you weekly, if not two times a week. Very exciting news to share that with you. But look, I want to talk about the Lakers first thing. We are absolutely watching Anthony Davis ultimately launch himself to the next level. Folks, he's been playing out out of his mind. He averaged 30 points against Portland, 25 against Houston, and 31 against Denver. And now he's playing lights out against Miami. He had 34 points and 9 rebounds in Game 1 of the Finals, and he followed that up with 32 points and 14 rebounds in Game 2. He shot... 75% from the field. He also led a devastating interior assault with the Lakers shooting 58% from inside the arc. Davis pulled down eight offensive rebounds at times, fighting three or four Miami Heat players for the ball. Midair, everybody's jumping at once, and Anthony Davis is ripping it out of the air. Complete monster when it came to rebounding. This is what Anthony Davis has been craving his entire career. A chance after only two playoff appearances in seven years with the Pelicans to compete for a championship. And finally, his first opportunity to do that, he is feasting. He is feasting. Another thing I am seeing in this series is how bad Miami's defense actually is. Miami currently runs a zone D. And guess what? That was only effective when you played the Celtics. That zone defense was effective at times against the Boston Celtics. And guess what? Your zone defense now is absolutely getting torched by the Lakers. Heck, their man defense wasn't even that great. I mean... The Lakers drove for 18 points in the paint in just the first quarter. Eric Spolstra and the Heat ultimately need to address their defense, and they need to address it soon. I mean, look at game one. Look at game one. After trailing early in the first, the Lakers went on a 75-30 to run. That stuff is just unheard of. Good grief. I mean, the last thing, and the last thing I'm seeing from Miami is how disappointing their players have been. They've been very lax. Look at Duncan Robinson. He's been absolutely disappointing. From the three-point, he's been awful. Myers Leonard cannot defend. Kendrick Nunn does not look like he looked before quarantine. He's not even getting the minutes. I mean, too many players are not playing their best basketball. You know what's really sad? It is sad to say that behind Jimmy Butler, that Kelly Olynyk has been effective offensively. He has been Miami's second best offensive player. And that is so sad when you have a team that is stacked with young guys. Tyler Harrell, Duncan Robinson, Myers Leonard, Jay Crowder can score. Kendrick Nunn. You Bam out of bile, but you know, he was out for game two. Goran Dragic out for game two. Hoping Bam out of bile does turn. Come back game three. But look, that wasn't this 
the Heat problem in game two. I talked about it a while back. I said, look, the Heat do not have a lot of size. Their biggest player is Bam Adebayo. Then you have Myers Leonard, not great at defense. Duncan Robinson, he's just great on the offensive side of the ball. Look, the Heat just don't have the size to compete with the Lakers inside. They just don't, right? You're going to stick Bam Adebayo either on Anthony Davis or JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, whoever's going to play center that night. That's who you're going to stick Adebayo on. Who are you going to stick on Anthony Davis who can actually defend him? They're usually putting either Myers Leonard or they're putting Duncan Robinson. And look, it's not been effective. And you've and it's been clear. It's been very clear. So if Miami wants to crawl back in the series, they need to box out. They need to play scrappy basketball. They need to get more aggressive. That is going to be their key because the Lakers are just steamrolling through town. They are taking every opportunity they have in the paint. And guess what? They're also going to torch you from three. The Lakers could shoot, and they can get inside. I don't think the Heat have any chance to come back in the series. Like I said, I think the Lakers are going to take the championship this year. LeBron is going to get his fourth ring. This is going to be his easiest ring of his entire career. And no, this does not close the gap for the GOAT debate. People, stop. Stop it right now. Yes, LeBron has been to 10 finals now. But say he wins this year's finals. Still has a 4-6 and six record in the finals. Michael was 6-0. and oh. Michael played better talent. A lot of you have said, oh, no, Mike, Michael has not played the talent that LeBron has. Really? Michael played Magic Johnson and the Lakers. Isaiah Thomas and the Bad Boy Pistons. Carl Malone and John Stockton here in the great state of Utah. He played better talent. A lot of people try to bring up that Spurs team LeBron played. Oh, they had four Hall of Famers in Ginobili, Tony Parker, Kawhi Leonard, and Tim Duncan. That's great. But were they aggressive as a bad boys prison? Were they aggressive as a Utah Jazz, 97-98 Utah Jazz? No. No, they're not even aggressive as Gary Payton and Sean Kemp on the Seattle Supersonics. It's just, it's totally different basketball. Michael played in a more aggressive period time of basketball. LeBron has kind of played in a much weaker. Look, LeBron flops and he gets a call. Michael Jordan had to get beat, literally beat, to get a foul call. That is what it took to get free throws. You touch James Harden these days and guess what? He's going to go to the line for free throws. Touch Westbrook or LeBron, you touch him, guess what? Free throws, guaranteed. You touched Michael Jordan back in the day and you slapped him. He was not guaranteed free throws. You kicked Michael. You kicked Magic Johnson. No guaranteed free throws. You absolutely slapped the crap out of Scottie Pippen. No guaranteed free throws. In the NBA today, it's pretty much a guarantee. So, no, this does not close the gap. This does not close the gap. As much as you want to say it. I have LeBron. LeBron just needs to be content with being on people's top three and top two lists. I mean, my list goes Michael, Kobe, LeBron. LeBron's making it, if not top three, LeBron's making it on everybody's top five list. LeBron needs to be content with that. He needs to realize that, look, I'm not the GOAT. I'm sorry. I'm very vocal on the situation. LeBron's not the GOAT, and it's very evident. 
It's very evident. Michael, steamrolled. Came in, steamrolled. LeBron, not the same situation. And now, you know, I, I also get the argument a lot of you bring up when he beat the Golden State Warriors when they had the best record in basketball. And some of you argue with me that, look, that's the best team basketball has ever seen. You know what? I don't agree with that. No, I don't think if if you put those Golden State Warriors against Michael Jordan and his Bulls, I don't think the Warriors win that game. Yeah, they're going to torch you from long range, but how are you going to protect the inside? Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, you got Horace Grant, Luke Longley, Tony Kukoc. Warriors would not have the size to match up with that. And I think Bulls would dominate inside. And guess what? They can also torch you from three. Michael Jordan, not a bad three-point shooter. Scottie Pippen, he could shoot it from the three. If John Paxson's on the team, John Paxson's going to make you a three. It don't matter. So it's that kind of stuff. Look, LeBron, you're a great player, but you're not going to be as good as Michael Jordan ever. Ever. That's just my opinion. And I know a lot of people who say, look, LeBron's best talent the NBA has ever seen. That's great. I don't agree with you. Michael Jordan, to me, is the best talent the NBA has ever seen. You know? Oh, well. All right. So I talked about AL, ALDS and the NLC, NLDS. I don't know why I like to call it the NLCS all of a sudden. But you got game one between Houston and Oakland. Then you got game one also against the Yankees and Rays in the American League. In the NL, in the National League, you have L.A. versus San Diego, and you have Atlanta versus Miami. Team I want to focus on. I talked about them last time. It's those Miami Marlins, baby. Those Miami Marlins, they came to play. I really want to talk about game one. Game one of that series was in Chicago. All three, all two games were in Chicago. Okay. So now when you think of Wrigley Field, you always think of the fans there. That's what I always think of when I think of Wrigley Field. The massive amounts of people there. The massive amounts of really the most passionate fans I've seen in baseball. They are some of the most passionate fans. But look, Miami came in there on September 30th to take game one. And I personally thought, look, if Miami takes game one, they have a very good chance of taking game two because Sixto Sanchez is going to start game two. And the Cubs are going to throw you Darvish, who's potentially the NL Cy Young. But look, you're going to feel confident. You're going to have that edge, and I think game two is yours. So game one, to me, is the most pivotal game in the series for the Marlins. Not so much the Cubs, in my opinion. So the Cubs put out Kyle Hendricks, and the Marlins put out Sandy Alcantara. Both pitched very good games. Alcantara went six and two-thirds. He gave up three hits, one run. It was earned. He walked three and struck out four. Remember, he also gave up a home run. That was to Ian Happ. And the Cubs threw out Kyle Hendricks. He went six and a third, five hits, three runs, both earned, three walks, and a strikeout. And he gave up a home run, and that was the Dickerson three-run home run in the seventh. When I was coming into the game, I put down two keys for Kyle Hendricks. And those two keys were work the inside part of the zone to righties and the outside part of the zone to lefties. And that was Kyle Hendricks' game plan from 
the beginning. If you watch, he was really attacking those lefties on that outside part of the zone. So they he put it outside of the zone. So little dribbler to Chris Bryant or Javi Baez, boom, one out. Because we have to remember, Kyle Hendricks has a 78% out rate on ground balls. That's MLB's best. He's he's a ground ball pitcher. He's not a fly ball pitcher. Kyle Hendricks is going to produce ground balls. That is what he's known for. That's how he gets his job done, right? So the big focus for him was I got to keep the ball on the ground and I got to keep it either to Javi or I got to keep it to KB because the Marlins stacked their lineup full of lefties. They No, no, they didn't. What am I talking about? Sorry, that was the Cubs. My bad. My bad. But Kyle Hendricks was, look, I got to keep the ball on the ground. He pitched very well through those first six. Then that seventh inning came. And Miami's problem throughout those first six innings was, look, we're leaving too many guys on base. Look, Miami that entire game was one for 13 with runners in scoring position. They left nine men on base the entire game. The entire game. It, it was a struggle. So that seventh inning comes. It is the swing moment of the game. It's the most pivotal inning for, for Miami. Kyle Hendricks, that first batter, gets it to ground out. Then he gives up back-to-back -back singles. So you have two runners on. Corey Dickerson comes up to the plate. And what does Dickerson do? He nails a three-run shot. But look. Jesus Aguilar also homered in that inning, but that's when Jeremy Jeffress came in. Look, Kyle Hendricks did not stick to the game plan in the seventh inning. Look at the pitch he gave to Corey Dickerson right down Broadway. Dickerson smacked that. It was gone. Boom. See ya. Did not come back. Dickerson's three-run home run puts Miami out in front, and that would have that just secured the game for him. Jesus Aguilar comes up later in the inning. Boom, he homers. He hits a two-run shot. So five-run inning for Miami. That's all they needed, and they won the game. They, <clears throat> they look very well. Now, when it came to Sandy Alcantara, the Cubs stacked their lineup with lefties. Six of the nine guys in the starting lineup were lefty. And Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Jason Hayward, Caratini, and Kipnis. So six out of the nine guys are lefties. I was thinking, look, the Cubs have a very good chance taking game one. Sandy Alcantara does not pitch well to left-handed batters. And that's why the Cubs, David Ross, very strategic, stacks it up with lefties. Not only is he a righty pitcher, but look, he struggles heavily pitching to right to left-handed batters. So if we can attack him, we can hit little bloopers or just smack the ball line drives right down the line, we're going to win this ball game. That wasn't the case. Sandy Alcantara said, okay, look, I got to dominate the guy. He was very north to south pitcher that game. He was not working the east to west. North to south was his game that was his game plan that entire game. And that's how he won. That is how he secured himself that win. When he I mean, look, I'm not saying if he had worked east to west, he wouldn't have won. 
But when he works east to west to left-handed batters, man, he really struggles. He really struggles. Okay? So it, it was a great pitching performance by both pitchers. I will give both of them props. That game one was amazing. Then game two comes around. It's Hugh Darvish. Okay? Guy who's going to possibly win the National Cy Young. Versus Sixto Sanchez. Sixto Sanchez only goes five innings, four hits, two walks, six strikeouts. Five innings, it was kind of like, whoa, he's only done after five? Wow. You Darvish, six and two-thirds, five hits, two runs, both earned, two walks, six strikeouts. He gave up a home run. He gave up that home run to Garrett Cooper. So, look, I told you that Miami was going to come in and they were going to give him a fight. This is the analogy I use for this series. Okay, imagine a dog fight. And the dogs in the fight, there's one massive dog and there's a little dog in the fight, right? Miami in this situation is the little dog and Chicago's the big dog. I was always told this growing up by my great-grandfather. It is not the size of the dogs in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dogs. Miami had the biggest fight in their dog at the end of the day, and they won. That's what happens. Look, I think Chicago got very lax as well. I think Chicago kind of came into the series thinking, look, we can take Miami on. They're not that great of a team. We can take them on, and we can beat them. Look, you can never go into a series with that mentality. You just cannot. Look at what Denver has done in the NBA. Look at what they did in this playoffs. They absolutely torched every team they played, minus the Lakers. They torched the Clippers. They did not stand a chance in a lot of people's minds to beat the Clippers. Came back 3-1. to one. Came back 3-1 to one against Utah. So look, like I said, it's the size of the fight in the dog. It is not the size of the dog in the fight. And Miami ultimately proved that. Miami ultimately proved that. Okay? New York played Cleveland. Game one was really close. Ultimately, New York gets the better of them and wins. Game two, I thought, okay, look, if New York wins game one, they're taking game two. No doubt. Tampa Bay, they beat Toronto. Toronto, they are a very young club. They have a veteran pitching staff, but they have a very young lineup. You have Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero. You have uh, Biggio over there, Kevin Biggio. This is a very young lineup. They're going to get better as time progresses, dude. I see a lot of upside in the Toronto Blue Jays. I think a veteran pitching staff looks great. Look, Hunjin Ryu was almost the Cy Young last year. They added Matt Shoemaker. Shoemaker is not terrible. And then they have a couple other guys that you could say, okay, you know, not bad. So they beat Toronto. And look, you can't just sit here and bash Toronto. Toronto, like I said, once again, young team. They're going to be up and coming in the future. So watch for them in the next three to five seasons. Toronto's going to be a very good team. Minnesota beats Houston game one. What performance by Kenta Maeda. Zach Ranke, very frustrated with his performance. He did not want to go five innings. He didn't want to go that long. Not that long. He wanted to go longer. He's five innings just short for a Zach Rienke outing. But look, he was struggling at very high pitch counts. 
Very high pitch count for Zach Greinke. That is what ultimately plagued him in game one was his pitch count. That can plague a lot of guys. Okay? It's going to plague a lot of you. Then you have the Oakland-Chicago White Sox series. Game one, Chicago comes out, and they're an absolute monster. Jose Abreu came out. He's stellar. Lucas Giolito, guy was a baller. It's I mean, look, I can't put it any other way. But Oakland is one of those teams that I think so many of us overlook because we're like, oh, pff, whatever. Guess who wins game two? No, not game two. What am I saying? Guess who comes in game one, breaks up that no-hitter? Tommy LaStellar, dude. Tommy LaStellar. I call him Tommy LaStellar. He comes in, breaks it up. But it was a performance by Giolito that a lot of guys cannot say they had. Oakland ultimately wins that series. You know what Oakland was? Oakland was a fighter, and that's how you win a series like that. L.A. versus Milwaukee. L.A. ultimately beats Milwaukee. Look, Milwaukee didn't stand a chance. Christian Yelich had a very rough year. Their pitching rotation is not a very good pitching rotation. They're kind of a much younger team as well. They're kind of not rebuilding, I would say, but they're looking to look much younger, and that kind of affects them very well. Then you have San Diego versus St. Louis. That was a dogfight of a series. Let me tell you, game one, St. Louis wins. I'm thinking, oh, great. Look, they have a chance to take game two. San Diego historically does not have very good chances when they pay when they play St. Louis in the postseason. It's just, it's in the history. It's in the facts. And I'm thinking, look, they're, put, they're putting Jack Flaherty out there in game three. He's going to look to be stellar. Jack Flaherty is one of those guys, dude, you can not just give up mid-game. He's going to come at you hard all game. Because game game two was very tight. But, uh, you know, game three, huge game. Huge game. Tatis Jr. is just proving to you why he's one of the top guys. I mean, the guy hitting 455 <coughs> now in the postseason. Tommy Pham's hitting 462. Mitch Moreland's hitting 500. Will Myers is hitting 333. Jake Cronenworth is hitting 625 in the series. Look, San Diego is going to come out, and they're going to be a tough team. I think the Dodgers are going to have a tough time. It's going to be a dogfight of a series. Look, L.A. and San Diego. Did we expect San Diego to really go this far? I did. Most of you didn't. But look, San Diego's a young team. They're going to attack. Now, yeah, look, they're missing Denilson Willamette, and they're missing Mike Clevenger right now. Very big concerns. But can they do it? Yeah, they just proved it to us they can do it. Then you have Miami versus Atlanta. I think Atlanta and Miami, it's going to be a very good series, but I think at the end of the day, Atlanta takes it out. I just think Atlanta has much more talent. You have Acuna. You have Adam Duvall. You have Ozzy Albies. You have Max Reed. They just have the guys to ultimately get it done. Okay? They have the resources to get it done. Okay? So I think in the NLCS, I think we see a Dodgers-Atlanta series. And I think we see a Tampa Bay-Oakland series. 
Yes, I just said Tampa Bay is going to beat New York because look at what Tampa Bay did against New York this year. Steamroll them, baby. Steamroll them. I think Tampa has an opportunity to take that series, and I think, look, they are going to take it, and they're going to win. World Series, to me, I think it could be, and I'm going to say this, it's going to be a Tampa Bay Dodgers World Series. You can hold me to that. Hold me to that. And if, look, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to, I will come on this show and I will openly apologize for being wrong. I, I will openly admit I was wrong. But that's, those are my bold predictions for you. I think Tampa Bay beats New York this series. I think Tampa Bay, once again, has more fight in their dog. I think they're going to take it. So uh, we got some heartbreaking news uh, this morning. Uh, Bob Gibson, uh, former former St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, uh, he passed away at the age of 84. He uh, passed away Friday night. I mean, this guy, fiery competitor, fiery competitor. I mean, everybody knows him as hard-throwing, loving guy. Look at his year in 1968. 1.12 ERA. Uh, MVP, two young, two-time Cy Young Award winner, nine-time Gold Glove Award recipient, first ballot Hall of Famer, guy you can call a Mr. October. And look, it's been 50, 52 years since Bob Gibson last through in an MLB game. But Bob Gibson has changed the sport of baseball for everyone. For everybody. Uh, Bob Gibson is uh, one of those guys, when you talk about competitiveness, you talk about love and passion for the game, he is, should be atop everybody's list. Some of the things I look I look at, um, I think back to that 1964 World Series. I mean, Game Two, um, guy guy pitched eight innings, um, was stellar. In game Two, he, he you know yes he did ultimately get the loss in that game, but he was he was still stellar. Game Five, ten innings, ten innings. They beat New York, beat him five to two. He thirteen strikeouts, only two walks. Then he pitches in game seven again. He goes nine innings, nine innings, nine strikeouts, three walks. The guy, look, the guy was uh, he was stellar. He was he was unbelievable, unbelievable. I mean, he had eight complete games in postseason history. He has two shutouts, and he has an average of nine innings per outing. In postseason history, the only pitchers with at least eight complete games are dead ball era hurdlers. Being Christy Matthewson, he has 10. Chief Bender has nine, and Red Ruffing has eight. Look, Bob Gibson Seriously, I mean, if you, if you, how do you not love, uh, how do you not love Bobby Gibson, dude? I mean, I still talk about him today. He's just one of those legends, one of those giants in the game of baseball. 
that you just have to talk about. You have to bring up. You just have to. So next week, next podcast, we're going to talk week four of the NFL. We're going to discuss my teams, the Chicago Bears. We're going to talk even Arizona Cardinals. I wanted I want to talk to you about the Cardinals, man. Team to watch out for right now. Never discount the Cardinals. Don't discount them this this year. Ow, baby. Don't discount the Bears either, dude. They're looking to come, and they're going to give you a good fight, baby. They're going to give you a run for your money. But look, they're <laughs> they're they're going to surprise you at the end of the day. Just want to thank you guys so much for tuning in today. And until next time, peace and love.